Is your wallet lighter than usual after a fun-filled summer? A little cash can go a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits you'll love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today. Get started at Chime.com fee-free. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit cards provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stripe Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spetton, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight, including your first place Baltimore Orioles, the success that they're having this season, and what the future may hold for them here over the final couple months of this year. We're also going to focus on some players down at AAA who are producing well, but don't quite have a clear path to the major leagues right now. And we'll, of course, shout out some players outside of our top 30 in our final segment for their performances on the field recently. But before we get started, we want to shout out some new members of our Patreon community. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we got a couple on the free trial period. Hopefully they stick around. Uh, Chad Kendrick and Cal Yarkowski, thanks for joining up. Hope you enjoy it. We put out a lot of content this past week, and hopefully that continues this week as the trade deadline approaches. So thanks for joining, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of uh, bonus content to look forward to right now. We'll get dive in here with the Orioles. They entered Monday's action 61-38, and coming off a series win at Tropicana Field against the Tampa Bay Rays. With that win, the Orioles now lead the American League East by two games, and they are just one of two teams in baseball and the only team in the American League with a 600 or better winning percentage. So this has been quite an interesting season. In a sense, some of the things that we expected to go well have gone well. Adley Rutzman and Felix Bautista make the All-Star game. But we also saw Gunnar Henderson get off to a slow start before really heating up. And the Orioles have had some contributions from some surprising players, including all-star Yenier Cano. So it has been a fun season. But the question is, where do the Orioles go from here? And Nick, I'm going to start with you. What has your reaction been to watching this team this season? So I I think this past weekend was actually pretty pivotal. I don't know about you guys, but like – I also forget what our preseason predictions were, who had this team going for how many wins. I meant to go back and listen to that, but I did it. But regardless, I kind of imagine this season being like a, a lot of prospects make their debut, which we have seen, but your guys like Grayson and Westberg, maybe Ortiz, hopefully Ortiz, you know, Kowser, and all these guys are now in the majors or will be soon in, in Ortiz's situation, hopefully. But you know, you were seeing a lot more of these prospects reach the major leagues, which I assumed was going to happen. It's why they didn't go out and spend all this money or make big trades last off season. They wanted to see some of these guys who they view as key pieces to the future, make their MLB debuts this year, settle in and work the kinks out. 
Gunner also being a rookie, right? Worked the kinks out there that he, he ended up having, I think, longer than a lot of people hope had hoped for, but he's firmly back in the rookie of the year conversation there. But I kind of expected this year to be like build on last year, but you get to August, which we're only like a week away from now at this point, you look up in August and this team's a lot of like, you know, four and six game stretches or five and five stretches, but someone like Toronto or New York, I'd say Boston, but it would, it's not gonna be Boston. One of the other teams, like they're putting together a lot of like seven and three stretches, six and four stretches. And then you look up in August and suddenly this team's like 10 games out of first place. That's kind of how I envision the season kind of going building on last season, but at least seeing a lot of rookies develop. Um, but now, like after this past weekend, taking three or four from the Rays, you lose that Dodgers series, which the Dodgers are a fantastic team. It's an unbelievable franchise, great player development, great major league roster, all that. We know that they're a juggernaut. But to come back home, or actually then to hit the road, sorry, go to the Rays, take three or four from the Rays who were, you know, you were tied with them in first place. And now you got this young team who hasn't played games like this before. They take three or four from the division leaders, the team that's been leading the division all year. You get a two-game lead now in the AL East. You get key contributions from guys like Colton Kowser. Gunnar Henderson is tearing the cover off the ball right now. And it just felt like this past weekend, it was like, it's for real now. Like this team can, this team is going to the playoffs. I, I feel confident saying that this team is going to the playoffs. Uh, I think Dan Zimborski just ran his updated like zips projections that the Orioles have the highest odds in the AL to make the playoffs. So like this team is going to the playoffs. This team is for real. Uh, and it just, it feels different now after that weekend, it wasn't a, Oh, we split. Okay. That's cool. Like that's cute. We're, we're hanging in there guys. It was no, we took three or four from the Rays. Uh, so it's just, it's a whole new feeling watching this team now, which is awesome. It's a feeling that uh, it's been many years since we've had this kind of feeling. And it, we should have taken two or three from the Dodgers too, because we were winning that first game for the yep. longest time until good old friend of the show, Brian Baker, gave up that grand slam in the in eighth inning. But uh, yeah, it's been super fun. And I like that, you know, you kept waiting for, you know, maybe like a, a little bit of a losing stretch. And they had that for like two weeks where they were just under 500. But really, even though they're a young team, I feel like they haven't tailspun it. And maybe the, the, the youth is kind of like a ignorance to that possibility, but it's been, it's been great. And I feel like there are a lot of things that I'm taking from it is I think last year, the success of last year, I feel like this was an experiment from Elias and company. What if we combine great player development, all the best analytics and, and pitching, you know, gurus like get Felix Bautista at, uh, back from no control to one of the best pitchers in relief pitchers in major league baseball history with the soft factors that are not quantifiable as much, but you get your Rugnetto doors in here. He's a terrible player. What are you doing? Maybe clubhouse chemistry has more to do with uh, the success than, than people could think. I don't know. I feel like there was hints of that with Asher ball. Like when they talked about bringing Carlos Beltran in and I feel like they've taken that to the extreme with James McCann, Adam Frazier, just seems like good dudes, Cal Gibson, who are not going to cause any issues whatsoever in the clubhouse, going to have fun with the young guys. And I just, I feel like it's paying off. I mean, there's, again, there's no way to quantify that, but it, it I think it takes what would already be a very good team into a, a great team. So that's what I'm kind of taking from this. 
Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things that you can't quantify, but I'm inclined to believe that it does matter. And looking at what in my years with the Nationals working in the minor leagues, I was in some good clubhouses and I was in some pretty bad clubhouses without getting into a lot of specifics. And I can tell you that the good clubhouses were the ones that you wanted to go into on a day-to-day basis. That motivating factor has to be there. So I, you know, I think it, it, there is something to be said for having the Frasers, the Gibsons, and the McCanns of the world around. I think the thing that really has jumped out at me with this team is that we're actually seeing that player development process carry over to the major leagues. That was coming into this year. One of the things I looked at and I wondered with the Orioles is, can you take someone who has struggled in the major leagues or has not had success recently and turn them around? They've done that with Ryan O'Hearn. They've done that with Yanni Urquino. And even with Adam Frazier, and I know that you know fans like to pick on Adam Frazier, and there's some areas where clearly Frazier could be better, but he already has, what, 10 more home runs this season than he had all of last year. There, there's got to be something that is working there for him. So I think that the Orioles have done that really well, and that's where you get that coming in with some of the guys, some of the younger guys that have stepped up and played well. That has been a huge difference maker. And I think the one thing that's important to consider, too, is that you could say until recently the Orioles had had their success despite not having a prolonged stretch where Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman were both hitting. Rutschman got off to a great start. Henderson started out ice cold. Then things switched in June. July, we've seen Rutschman come back to a better version of himself. Henderson has continued to hit. But up to this point, we had not seen that. Even Anthony Santander got off to a slow start. Cedric Mullins has been on and off the IL a couple of times now. So there are some things that if you had said preseason, this is going to happen, you might have had diminished your expectations for the Orioles. And to go back to Nick's point, I believe that I had the Orioles at 86 wins coming into this year. And given some of the things that were, you know, some of the things that were being said about the Orioles, not just on Orioles Twitter, but nationally at the end of spring training, that seemed a little optimistic. And yet they're probably going to win way more than that. Yeah, we might have 86 wins by like August 30th. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, who would have thought you could get Ryan O'Hearn, a guy who couldn't crack the Royals roster, into being a guy that is like hitting the ball hard as consistently as anyone in the majors, or at least in the American League. You pick Aaron Hicks off the scrap heap from the Yankees who, you know, they paid him big bucks and he did nothing for them. You rejuvenate him, even if it was only for that first month. I mean... Hey, that's something uh, you're getting, you know, you're making gold out of, uh, I forget what that fake gold stuff pirates gold <laughs> is called, but uh, yeah. So I feel like it's just been like the perfect mix of just doing everything right at every aspect of the organization. And it's paying off now that, you know, and it's happening quicker than we thought and people still, uh, <laughs> it's not enough, but that that's a whole nother story. I feel like another part of this season though is, we've kind of learned how the Orioles are going to treat these prospects when they come up. They're not going to bring three guys with no major league experience up at the same time. They, I don't think they want more than one, maybe two rookies getting that adjustment period out of the way at the same time. You saw Gunner start off real slow. As soon as he turned the corner, you saw Westberg come up. Um, you know, he, he started hot, luckily, which was a surprise to me. Hit his first home run of the of his career tonight, and then Kowser's come up. He's struggling. I would imagine he's going to turn things around, and then Kerstad will come up end August, early September. So 
feel like that's another thing to take away when we're looking forward to next year. Like, just say, I don't know, Jackson Holiday makes the opening day roster out of spring training, let him get his adjustment period out of the way, then Kobe Mayo could come up, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. It's it's just fun to also look at how you, know, you talk about the the prospects and their hot and cold streaks. Like, yeah, Westbrook has started out hot and playing very well. Colton Kowser has, I think, played better than some people want to send him back to AAA already, which is kind of ridiculous. But it's, you know, Westbrook, there's going to, the book's going to get out on Westbrook, right? The league is going to adjust to him. And you're probably going to see a stretch there where he starts to go cold for a little bit. But that could coincide with a time where Kowser starts to feel more comfortable. He adjusts to, you know, what the league is giving him and he gets hot. Uh, you know, like right now, like Gunnar Henderson is not going to cover off the ball. Not like I, I, I mentioned, you know, Santan Dare's playing, you know, okay. Adley's picked it back up, but, you know, Mullins gets hurt, but Austin Hayes goes cold. But you've got four other guys in this lineup who are picking it up, right, as Hayes gets cold. So it's all working well. Even this Ryan O'Hearn, Ryan Mountcastle platoon, it's glorious. Like, I love it. I absolutely love that. Uh, you keep Mountcastle playing to his strengths, you know, and he's he hit, I think it was this, his home run tonight, Monday night, I think it was the second longest I saw of his career and like the second hardest hit home run of his career or something like that. I mean, it's when you got guys in that situation and it's all working out so perfectly, like, I don't know. It's almost like you're waiting for the ball to drop and for this to like stop working so well. But I mean, we're a hundred plus games into the season now and it's working so far. And I think there's even more reinforcements on the way. And one other thing that I really wanted to highlight here that I've really enjoyed probably the most, honestly, because this part of the organization gets, you know, dumped on for so long and deservedly so because it's been bad. We've seen so many pitchers leave this organization, become something else elsewhere. But if you look at this rotation now, like Dean Kramer just pitched seven innings, giving up one run tonight against the Phillies. He's in line. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, I won't jinx it because the game is not over yet. I don't think, but I'll say coming into tonight, he's 10 and four with an ERA of like four and a half and pitching pretty well. I think he's answering some questions about, can he stick in this rotation? I think so. I think he can be a back of the rotation guy. Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish is having a phenomenal season. It always seems like he gets the nights where the offense just isn't clicking. Uh, he's having a great year. Michael Bauman in the bullpen is just lights out. He's 7-0 with a 3.49 ERA right now in the year. You mentioned Yenier Cano and Felix Batista, obviously, but even Tyler Wells. I know he struggled in his last start, but he's had a successful year. I mean, it's just on and on all these homegrown pitchers or guys who are in the minors with no MLB experience, like Tyler Wells being a rule five draft pick, all these guys that like the Orioles have developed. Grayson Rodriguez is looking like the Grayson Rodriguez that we all thought he could be. That last start was just phenomenal. He looks like that bulldog on the mound that we saw down there coming up through the minor leagues. I think the Orioles, I've said this before, but now we're seeing it at the major league level, Talking about the major league guys, I don't think this organization is still getting enough credit for what they're doing on the pitching side of things. It's it's good, and it's getting – this is just the beginning. This is just the tip. It's getting so much better with more reinforcements on the way, and you go off and sign guys, you go off and trade for guys with bigger talents. It's you know not your Kyle Gibsons or Jordan Lyles anymore. You actually start to invest in this pitching staff, and it's – I'm super excited to see what they can do with, with guys like that. I mean, definition of pitching development. Grayson Rodriguez struggles in his first time in the majors. Goes down the minors to work on things. Like you said, he comes up. He's pumping 101 mile per hour all of a sudden and looking super confident against the Dodgers and the Rays. He has two really good starts. I mean, 
what more can you ask for right there? Same with Bradish last year when he started so slow. Went on the injured list, quote-unquote, and then came back slicing and dicing. So, yeah, the Orioles can certainly develop. It's it's just easier said than done, but this is not your old old Orioles anymore. I'm glad you brought Bradis, Nick, because I don't think Bradis is getting enough credit for how good he has been. I think part of that is that it's just bad luck right now that he's not getting the run support to back up some of these excellent starts. But Bradis has now thrown almost 100 innings. He's at 97 and a third. His walk per nine inning is 2.3. And this is a guy that had questions about his control all throughout the minor leagues. We were all three high on Bradis when he was in the minors. And yet I think we even kind of had that question of, you know, is he going to just walk too many guys? Or is he going to be one of those pitchers that's effective overall, but you're going to have to live with kind of high walk totals, even in his best seasons. His command this year has been excellent. Yeah, I mean, go back to – I'm trying to pull up the numbers here. I mean, 2021 in AAA, he had a walk rate of over 10%. His first year with the Angels, when they sent him straight to high, he had a walk rate of about 12%. It's was 9% last year in the major leagues, and that's down to 6.3% this year. It's phenomenal. I mean, the ERA is mid threes and all everything else. Your, your FIP, your XFIP are not much higher. They're like three and a half. Yeah, ERA 3.05, but the FIP 3.52, XFIP 3.81. He's already worth 1.9 F4. I mean, this is this is a guy who, again, he has those outings where he's five, six, seven innings, one run, two runs, but the offense scores zero runs for him. It's, I think he's developing. I know, I think a lot of people kind of jokingly said, or maybe sometimes serious, have said like this, he's developing into an ace. I don't know if he's an ace, but uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. But I would say that I don't really have very many more questions about Kyle Bradish's future. Like, I think he is firmly supplanting himself in this rotation, like as a mid rotation guy, maybe in the back of the rotation guy, if this organization can you know, go out and make that big trade, make a big, you know, free agent signing. But regardless, he's in this rotation for the long haul. And I, I think he's going to be a prominent starter on this team when they're in this championship window here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the same guy that gave up seven runs to Boston over what, two innings early this season. Mm-hmm. And he's still sitting at an ERA barely over three. He's just lights out. Like I think he, him and Grayson will probably be like, two, three starters on this team. I'm assuming the Orioles will trade for some like Corbin Murray style ace at some point this offseason. But yeah, those guys are going to be at the top or middle of this rotation. And Tyler Wells, I feel like is kind of underrated and overrated at the same time. It's kind of weird, but uh, he's just a, I feel like he's um, like that Kyle Gibson bulldog grinder going to go out there, get the job done, but also just getting better and uh, learning and, now, all of a sudden, this year, he's striking out more batters. I think he's just – he's tired a little bit. He went from not pitching at all for a year or two to the Orioles' bullpen to starting last year. And now, again, he's got a, his career high in innings pitched already. So I think if he can just continue to build up his arm strength and, and get that endurance season-long over the next year or two, then he could be another guy that's really good for a long time. Yeah. I got a question. Just, oh, go ahead, Nick. I was just say one more point to all of that. Just I, you know, the the misses, I guess you could say, or the 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 not so great things about on the pitching side of things with this organization, like you know, DL Hall, like they're loud, right? DL Hall, top prospect, who you know we all said his ceiling was arguably higher than Grayson's, and now we don't, we have no idea where he is or what he's doing right now at this point uh, in the year. 
like, yeah, that it's those misses are, it can be loud. The Cole Irvin trade, right? I know there's a lot of discourse about that over the last week or so. The Irvin hasn't been what we had hoped he was going to be this year, but I think it's important to not overlook like Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, Bowman, Batista, Cano, and go on and on about these guys that the Orioles are doing a fantastic job and getting a lot out of. And I think, you know, now it's just this, you know, we're not entering next season with, I don't know, can this guy be a starter? I don't know. You know, it's been like that for the last two, three years. I think we're entering, we're going to enter next year with this guy's in the rotation. This guy's in the rotation. This guy's our seventh inning guy. This guy's a bullpen guy. And it's, it's comforting. Completely agree. I'm going to go to a question here from Wyatt. Cause I think it's actually a good place to, uh, kind of wrap up this segment and move on to our next one, which is Brandon Hyde seems to push the right buttons at the right times a lot. Manager of the year candidate. What are your guys' thoughts on that? It's interesting, right? I've seen Hyde get a ton of hate, which is kind of funny to me because this team overplayed last year by all accounts. And, you know, I would put a lot of that credit to him. Yeah. People want to criticize his, why is he uh, messing with the lineup so much? And uh, Westbrook should be playing every day. He's only, why are they platooning this person and that person? Why is this person coming in from the bullpen at this time? A lot of that's not even him. I mean, a lot of that is him working with, like we talked, uh, there's Quinn putting her two cents <laughs> in. Um, a lot of these decisions are corroborative, collaborative with the front office, as Eve told us on our interview with her. I don't know how much you can put that on him. I feel like the players fight for him. The players love him. I feel like he's great in the clubhouse. Again, there's soft factors that these guys come ready to play every single day. And, you know, you don't see anyone dogging it. And you don't see any fights in the clubhouse like you did with Chris Davis <laughs> towards the end of his run. So I, I, I will say Hyde's doing the right job. I, I'm not ready to get rid of him by any means. I'd ride him out until, you know, he proves otherwise. Yeah, I mean, evaluating a manager from I think from a fan perspective, I just think is is hard. I, I don't really understand like how we do that because we don't know the ins and outs, the day to day operations of, of what Hyde's doing. We don't know the exact impact that he has in that clubhouse or what decisions are his, like Bob talked about, and, and what are the front office. Um, I the only question I had was it was Hyde kind of like the scapegoat guy. He's the rebuild guy. You take your lumps. Uh, and then once this team enters this competitive window, they move on from him, bring in the, the veteran, the guy who's been there, who's been in the playoffs, who's been in the World Series before, bring in someone else. But honestly, at this point, I don't I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Hyde is is going to see this through. I, I think they're going to keep him around. He was, you know, he did get what was it, like Sporting News, I think, gave him AL Manager of the Year honors last year. I think he's on track for uh, to get a couple more honors this year as well. And, and I think honestly, like what a I know. This is going to open up a can of worms talking about extensions, but like, why not make a statement and say like, Hyde's our guy. We're, we're entering this championship competitive window. Here's a new contract for Brandon Hyde. He's our guy for the long haul as well. Keep that continuity there in that clubhouse. I would not be mad at that at all. I've always loved Hyde just for the sheer fact that he goes out and just, he is not afraid to get on that top step or walk down the field and fight for his guys. I, I've loved that the most about him. And these guys are fighting for him. So I, I think he's the guy here in Baltimore. You know, I'm not going to say that I agree 100% with some of Brandon Hyde's strategy-making decisions on a game-to-day, you know, day-to-day basis because I don't agree with every single one. But that's just a natural thing when you're a fan watching a manager work. And 
I think that you're right, Nick. It's hard to evaluate a manager, and I think it's gotten harder over the last 15, 20 years to evaluate a manager than it has ever been before. With that said, something I've always appreciated about Brandon Hyde, going back to when the Orioles were terrible, you didn't see players dogging it. Players were playing hard every single night. That's still the case now that they're winning. And you see that with guys that have been playing under him for years. Santander, Hayes, Mullins. They, for me, would kind of be the litmus test of, okay, is there going to come a point where Brandon Hyde's just not heard in that clubhouse anymore? The players have just tuned him out. They moved on. Um, that has not been the case at all. And the other thing is, I mean, we for every example where you know the Cubs brought in Joe Madden uh, and won the World Series in 2016, you can probably find cases like the White Sox letting go of Rick Renneria and after a year taking a huge step backwards. So sometimes that plan of we're going to go to the next manager who is the name guy that has that experience uh, to replace the manager that saw us through this rebuild doesn't always work. So if things are working with Brandon Hyde, I don't see any reason to move on anytime soon. Agreed. And with that now, we're going to take a look at some guys that are performing really well in the Hyde minor leagues. I think we're looking exclusively at Norfolk's roster. Maybe have another guy or two pop up that's lower than that now, who clearly have a strong argument to be in the major leagues because of their prospect status, the way they're performing, or both, or in the case of a couple of guys we're going to talk about, because they've been to the major leagues before and they've shown flashes of what they could be and even a part-time role, but there's not really a clear path for them in the major leagues right now for whatever reason. Uh, and the, we get questions about these kind of guys a lot, not just on our main shows, but in the mailbags that we do every weekend. So we thought tonight we'd take some time to talk about them. And uh, what we're going to do is each kind of pick a player or two that we think fits this mold. And I'll let Bob start. Yeah, I, I'll start with Cesar Prieto. This is a guy who just, you know, last year he started strong. We've talked about this a lot, and then he kind of faded out. And I, I think, you know, first time in from international play, he had to figure out what it was like to the grind of a full major league, minor league season. And he prepared for that perfectly this year. He balked up. I don't know how uh, legitimate the means were, but he balked up, and it, it's paying off. You know, he's not hitting for huge power anyway this year. It's not like he's changed his game by gaining that weight. But it, he's been durable. He's been consistent all season. He's walking a little bit more than last year, striking out less. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't really walk. But he's consistently batting well over 300, and he's still doing it in AAA. He's a guy that, you know, defensively, you're not going to want him out there at the end of a close game probably. But he's passable at second base, maybe third base. But really, he's like a Luis Arise type where it's just he's going to get his hits. He's going to put the ball in play, and he's going to put them where the fielders aren't. You know, a very wantable type of player for a lot of teams. But where is he going to play for the Orioles? And that's why he's probably trade bait. But at the same time, could be a nice piece off the bench, depth piece in case of injury. He's not even on the 40-man roster yet. So this is the type of guy where it's like, you don't want him languishing in AAA for years, but you also don't want to give him away for a dime to a dollar. That's not a saying, but uh, yeah. So he's just a guy that's really talented, but I don't know how well he fits on this roster. And even just like his play style is different than the swing decisions and take your walks and hit for power. So he's a little bit different for an Orioles prospect, but they got him in that international signing period. Turned out to be 
a steal, it looks like. And uh, yeah, don't know where the future holds, but could either see him being a trade piece or a depth piece to AAA for a while. Yeah, this is this is a tough one because we do get a lot of questions and comments about Prieto in particular. And I see a lot of discussion online, like Prieto deserves more hype. Nobody's talking about Cesar Prieto. Uh, this guy should be ranked higher on a prospect list. I think all that's honestly probably true, but you look at the depth of middle infield candidates in this system. And I, I agree. Like I don't, I don't know what his future could be on this major league roster because I think defensively is what really limits him. And you mentioned him being a steal. I, I, he really was. He only signed for what a couple hundred thousand dollars. Was it like six hundred thousand something? I think off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly. I was exactly. thinking four, but somewhere in there. Yeah, four two, four forty pops in my mind. I don't know, but it, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. Regardless, I mean, there were reports, unconfirmed reports, but I, I did see some reports after the signing period. He's after he signed with the Orioles, saying that. I think it was the White Sox were looking at him for like $1.2, $1.3 million, or even closer to $2 million, I think. Even I saw some some other reports elsewhere. So like this was a big-time talent, but his timing with defection with Cuba, defecting from Cuba and, and everything, teams had spent all their money. The Orioles had left some money on the table and lucked out. Like <laughs> Cesar Preto literally just fell into their laps for pennies on the dollar. When teams were trying, were hoping to get him for triple, quadruple the price that the Orioles paid. So, like, this is a legitimate prospect who he's up here in AAA. And I think, I don't think he's batted below 300 all year. He was close to dipping below 300 at Norfolk a couple days ago, but I think he's had like a two for four day, a couple two for four days, and a couple hits. He's got that average back up to 322 now. The ISO is up, isolated power is up. So, he's hitting for more extra bases now that he's up in AAA, but. Still, he he is a different kind of hitter in this system. I he can get to balls, I think, at third base, but it's the arm that he just I don't think he has it. I just don't think he has that arm strength for third base, especially in the major leagues. Definitely not shortstop in the major leagues. You can play second base, but he hasn't played any outfield. I don't see the Orioles trying him in the outfield either. If you don't have the arm strength for second or third, barely enough arm strength in the minor leagues at, for the, at that position. I don't think he's going to have it in the outfield as well. So I think that kind of limits him when you have Connor Norby, who can play the outfield. Westberg can play the outfield. Taron Vavra can play the outfield. Like All these other guys have more positional versatility. Prieto does have positional versatility, but I think he's kind of way down the totem pole of quality of defense at some of those positions. And I think that's going to kind of hold him back a little bit. But he, he can be a... a good trade piece uh if that's the route the orioles take but which i think ultimately is probably what ends up happening with him to be honest but i do agree that he probably is underrated and doesn't get talked about enough in the system considering everybody who's ahead of him he's he's been unbelievable this year live update orioles just won Ciona perez closed it out one run game with bautista and cano not available colton Kowser game winning rbi double in the top of the ninth yeah but Cut Perez and send uh, Kowser back to AAA, I guess, after that game. Good work, guys. Um, with Prieto, just to clarify the bonus number, 650000 back in January of 2022 when the Orioles signed him. I know that the least arrived, the least arrived this season, I think, has people more interested in Prieto because now all of a sudden maybe the back-to-ball skills are a, a, something that's back in baseball now. You know, whereas before that was kind of being dismissed because of the shift, um, players trying to hit for more power, 
walks going up. Now all of a sudden you see a guy like Arise who looks like he could have been playing in the 80s or 90s in a much different offensive environment going out having the year he's had. I agree with both of you that I think the defense is a limiting factor with Prieto. And I don't know, given the options that the Orioles have, that they're going to want him at second base when they could have Jordan Westbrook there. Um, you know, Jackson Holiday has actually played a little bit of second base. I don't think that's where he's going to end up long term, but he could at least be an option there for you. Joey Ortiz has a higher ceiling across the board than Prieto. He can also play second base. Uh, you have Norby, you have Westbrook. So you have a lot of guys that can fill in at that spot. So Prieto really has to stand out. To his credit, I think he's done everything you could have asked of him this year. He's hitting the ball um, consistently. He doesn't strike out, but he also doesn't take a walk. And I don't know if the Orioles are going to look at that and think, well, he's a good hitter in the right place. He just doesn't quite fit our model. And But he's going to fit someone's model. And, Nick, you've made this point multiple times over the course of this season, and I agree with it. There are teams right now that could put Cesar Prieto at second base tomorrow in the major leagues and have an upgrade over whoever he was replacing. Yeah, I firmly believe that you could have before he even reached Triple A. I felt like he was at a point in Double A this year where he is. I mean, he's he is who he is. I feel like at this point, yeah, you can work on some things like recognizing you know more advanced breaking balls, getting to high velo stuff, you know, yada yada, all the typical things, but like. Other than that, he, he's not going to strike out, even in the major leagues. I mean, what's what's he going to strike out? Like 10 to 12% maybe on a bad year, probably. He's not going to walk a lot. He's going to swing. He's going to be aggressive, but it's like controlled aggression. Uh, and, and I think that, yeah, you could trade him to a team that says uh, this one of these teams that's, I don't know the exact team, but a team that is not trying to break it all down, but a team that's close to being ready to contend and say, hey, we got a starting second baseman for you right here uh, that we can throw it in this deal. And I, I think Prieto would work there. Maybe the angels. I was about to say Pittsburgh, <laughs> if you're listening, I think this would be a good place to start the Mitch Keller discussions. Shohei Stowers and Prieto and Norby for Shohei Otani. So don't get me started. <laughs> get me started on that. So Bob, you have anyone else you want to highlight? Yeah, speaking of Connor Norby, I know, you know, he blitzed his way up this system last year, and he's had a really solid year this year at AAA, don't get me wrong. But I feel like, you know, you see guys like Ortiz, who's just hitting like 340 with a 950 plus OPS with incredible defense at shortstop, second base. Uh, you got Westberg, who's just mashed the ball all year long, and he's looked really good defensively at the major league level already getting warmed up there you got gunner on the major league roster you have prieto at triple a with him who can play a lot of the same positions and it's like he's another guy where it's tough unless his bat is going to be super special which it was at the end of last year and hey we still have some months left here and he's kind of heating up again towards the second half here but Unless his bat's going to be elite, I just don't know with his lack of positional versatility, which a lot of other guys can provide, if the Orioles are going to be the team to maximize his potential. Or he might be headlining a trade either uh, in the next week or over the offseason or sometime down the line. But he's a guy who love 
watching him play. He's a great hitter, great player, but where's the Yeah, Norby's Norby's a tough one because I mean you look at some of his numbers this year and like the strikeouts are up. I mean he's striking out like twenty three percent of the time, twenty four percent of the time. Strikeouts are up, walks are down. He only has a, a ninety seven WRC plus right now in AAA. I think there are some questions about the power, which I don't think has gone away. Uh, the power is still definitely there, and it's it's kind of you know all fields power, at least you know right center power as well. So he's not strictly you know this hardcore pull hitter who's going to be significantly hurt by the wall at Camden Yards. I think it will impact him if he were to reach the major leagues with the Orioles, but I mean he can send the ball the other way as well. So I'm not overly concerned in that area. I just think with Norby right now, like he's not Rule Five eligible this offseason. You've got so many other guys ahead of him. He's not. I mean, he's he's improving. I was trying to pull up the the splits here. I mean, right now in the, the month of July, he's hitting 286 with an 892 OPS. He's been consistent the last three months: 864 OPS, 800 OPS, 892 OPS. Like he's playing very well, but I think there's still some definite areas of his game that he can improve on. And there's really no rush with Norby. Um, I, I think you can keep him down in AAA all year this year. You can keep him in AAA for much of next year as well uh, before you have to make a decision. And I think that's honestly would be fine if they did that. And you let Westberg figure it out. You see what you're going to do with Ortiz. You know, it's, it is a situation where I think if he were to reach the big leagues with the Orioles, he's probably more of that utility guy. Maybe he could be you know a, a Taren Vavra type player, some second base, some left field, um, a guy who Taren Vavra with power almost, but yeah, it's he's another one where he's he's a, a top 100 prospect on some list, but he's like fourth or fifth on the pecking order in this organization. It's it's not a knock on these guys at all. There's just so much talent in this organization, and everyone has different skill sets as well. Things that they do so well that just puts them, it puts them in different tiers, and it's hard to kind of put all these puzzle pieces together. And I'm glad I'm not the guy that has to put this puzzle together. And you see. Why Dale Hernandez was traded over the offseason because he was behind Norby and probably right around where Prieto is, and he would be another infielder that was started in double A and would be in triple A by now, or deserving of it at least. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't love what Irvin has done so far for the Orioles or Verbitsky, but I mean, it was either and he was rule five eligible, right? Uh, coming up, so mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense at the time, and even if it doesn't go our way this time process over results so yeah norby's not going to be rule five eligible until after next season um and the orioles even though you now have jordan westberg on the 40 man he was one of the guys that you had to account for you've still got heston Kerstad there that you know that they're going to protect and you have a lot of guys that are seemingly on the bubble i think gene pinto is actually rule five eligible after this season so that's someone else you're going to have to account for and that's you know a discussion that i'm sure we're going to have multiple times between now and the fall when that deadline hits. But I think with Norby, the the real question is going to be, how is the bat going to compare to the other options they have at second base? Because that's going to have to be what works for him. Because while they are working in left field, and he has played some right field this year, I think everyone kind of understands that Norby's skill set defensively is best tailored to second base. And Brian Dozer is sort of becoming like a Mike Cameron prototype where it's like, okay, second baseman who can hit for power, average to below average defender, probably going to strike out a little more than you would like. That's Brian Dozer. 
I don't know that Norby is exactly that kind of player, but the ceiling probably is a 20 to 25 home run guy who in a good year is going to hit 265 to 270. He's not going to walk a whole lot. That's probably what you're getting with Norby. And the question is, you know, is going to have to sort itself out to determine whether his future in the major leagues, because he does have one. I absolutely believe that. Mm -hmm. Whether his future in the major leagues is with the Orioles or with someone else, because the Orioles are going to have to decide, is that what they want in the second baseman, or are they going to look at someone like Jordan Westbrook and think, oh, we want a guy that can move around the infield more? Or Joey Ortiz, who, if he does end up at second base, is probably going to be the best defensive second baseman in the game. So there's a lot of factors that they have to consider, but Norby's calling card is the bat, and I think it's going to come down to the Orioles, how they view that bat. And I agree with you guys. I don't think him being in AAA all year is a bad thing. Not at all. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. He's overcome that to his credit. But you've got a real roster crunch at the top of this organization right now, and you're not going to complicate things even more by protecting a guy well ahead of where – you would need to. Yeah, it's if you're in these trade discussions and there's an organization that highly values Norby and he can be a major piece of a trade, then yeah, I could see the Orioles definitely moving on from him. But at the same time, you know, if if he's not, then you know, or you know, you're not getting as much as you think you should get back for Connor Norby in a deal, then at least in his situation, like you can. I know he doesn't like it. I know a lot of uh, I know Connor Norby's Connor Norby's got some hardcore fans out there, and I, and I love you all because that's awesome. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of this guy as well, but they don't have to make a decision for a year over a year at this point. Now they've got plenty of time where if they really need to, they can keep him down there in AAA for much of next year as well, and, and find things to work on with him. So it's, I think he's he's one of these guys that. You know, Stowers and, and Vavra and Ortiz and Westberg, their situations are a little bit different because they're on the 40-man roster and everything. But I, I just think with Norby, he's not on the 40-man. You don't have to put him on the 40-man for a long time. So he can be a guy who you can just sit back and just kind of let bake a little bit longer. Um, and I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but... You're right. Yeah, you can let Norby wait down AAA for a while. And like I said, he absolutely has a future in the major leagues. His time is going to come. I think we're just going to have to wait a little bit for that. And Nick, um, do you have a couple of guys you want to highlight in this segment? Uh, do, let, let's hit on Stowers and Vavra here. <clears throat> Just because I feel like a lot of times I see this in, in like the art chat and I, I do too. Sometimes you, you turn on Norfolk game and you're like, Oh, Cal Stowers is in the lineup. Like I see the lineup before the game and it still doesn't click. And then I see Cal Stowers come up to bat and I'm like, Oh, Cal Stowers is in this organization. Um, you know, there's the Mullins injury happening. I know uh, Aaron Hicks left today's game, but I, th- I think that was just a cramp. I think th- that it was reported why he left, so it doesn't seem anything serious there. But you, know, you look at this outfield situation right now and wonder, like, is Kyle Stowers going to get another opportunity uh, in the major leagues? And he's another guy who I, I guess my point with Kyle Stowers just be is what we talked about after the Eve Rosenbaum interview. I think maybe – we kind of overvalued Stowers as a fan base and the organization just doesn't view him as highly. Uh, and I don't know if I see that path for Stowers because if Mullins is out for an extended period of time and something happens with Hicks where the bat just completely bottoms out and this team says, we can't have Hicks. 
anymore. We got to move on from him. The next option is going to be Ryan McKenna. It's not going to be Kyle Stowers. It's not going to be Heston Kerstad. It's going to be Ryan McKenna back in the major leagues. So I don't see where Kyle Stowers plays at this point, or if we see him back in the major leagues this year. And I think as this year has gone on, it's just kind of confirmed for me that Stowers is going to be a guy who I think kind of hangs around in AAA and is kind of that emergency depth piece here for this organization until maybe someone comes calling for him or, um, you know, or hopefully he somebody comes calling for him and, and he could be a good addition to a trade. But other than that, I, I don't, I don't really know if I see a path for Stowers anymore at this point. You kind of sense that the Orioles really were not that high on his defense. And we know now that that's going to be a big hurdle for any Orioles outfield prospect in the future is can you play the outfield at Camden Yards? That's going to be the case right now with left field. And, I, you know, I think it's hard to have a guy on the roster that doesn't have the offensive consistency of, say, someone like an Anthony Santander, or it isn't going to give you that type of production that is limited to right field. That's not what the Orioles want, and I think that that's ultimately what has hurt Stowers to this point. It's just you're not going to run him out there in left field. And we always would talk about his defense. We were fairly high on it in right field. And center field, it was always, you know, in case of emergency, you put him there, but he's not a guy that you're going to develop as a center fielder. And I think that the Orioles may have actually been a little bit lower than that even. So that's something that I think is a real issue for Stowers. Now, I want to put this point out there. We were talking about how Prieto would be an upgrade for a lot of teams at second base right now, where at least if you look down towards the bottom third or the five worst teams in the league, Prieto would probably be an upgrade over their current second baseman. Could you see a scenario where a team that is rebuilding um, or that is kind of retooling looks at Kyle Stowers and thinks, not a perfect prospect, but he's got that left-handed power. He's not going to cost us anything for the next three years. You have the D8s in both leagues now. Would someone trade for him under that idea of let's just see what they have because if nothing else, he's someone who can hit a, hit a home run for you? Very possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally don't think his value is that much lower than it was. Maybe lower, but not that much lower. I mean, he just needs an opportunity. And honestly, maybe that opportunity is going to be at the Orioles because Hicks just got hurt tonight. Mullins is on the IL. Who knows? But I still think there's a lot of talent in there. I, I think he could be an Anthony Santander type of hitter if he's given the right opportunity. And I think he plays better defense than Santander. So probably not going to be for the Orioles, but I do think he's going to be a solid major league player. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it just because, I mean, look at everything we talked about when he was mashing down there in AAA before he got the call up or when he was going up and down there for a while. And it's why was he getting this playing time in the majors? When you look at as he advanced through the system, like the walk rate has always been phenomenal, but the strikeout rate took such a, a huge cut in strikeouts from his first stint in AAA to his most recent like long-term stint last year in AAA. It was a huge drop in strikeout rate. Um, the home run power is very much for real. Everything just from, you know, all the numbers. I, we rattled them off on numerous different occasions. All the numbers that he improved so much on. We're like, why isn't this guy getting an opportunity in the major leagues? So I, I'm sure there is an organization out there who could see those numbers as well. And, you know, if they saw him on a good night, if they got scouts at the ball field, saw him 
uh, on a great night and got a positive report on him, I'm sure there's an organization out there who would be willing to take a flyer on him and see if they can develop him into something. But yeah, I just don't see, you know, the futures of Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander, I'm sure it can be debated and talked about in their, their own episodes, I think in their own right. But even if those guys are moved one or two or both of those guys are moved, like I think Heston Kirsch that is very much for real. I don't, I, I think he's one of those guys where I don't know if I fully understand how good of a major league hitter Heston Kirsch that could be. Um, and, and so I think he's going to fill one of those corner outfield spots. I know we, we kind of say like that's future first baseman. I tend to agree with that point more, but you know, he could be a corner outfield spot for you. Uh, there are some other guys coming up in this system who uh, are going to challenge him as well. So I just, I don't really know if Stowers really has the home here in Baltimore, but at the same time, he is a guy who you can keep around. And if an injury does happen to one of the corner outfielders and not Mullins or a center fielder, and you need to bring a corner outfielder up here by the end of this year, or even some point next year, like Stowers is not a bad option at all to bring up in, in case of emergency and give you a couple weeks in the lineup. He's, He's going to hit some monster home runs and he's going to draw walks and he's going to play, I think, okay defense. Um, so it's just a quality depth option to have, if nothing else. Anyone else you want to discuss, Nick? Uh, do, do we want to talk about Vavra? Are, are we are we done with Vavra? Because, like, I, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned Connor Norby, second base defense that maybe is comparable. And, you know, left field defense, you know, I haven't really seen Norby. Norby's made some good plays out in left field, but I, I haven't you know, watch these guys enough out left field defense to compare them, but second base left field, you can move them around a little bit. Norby's got the power. Vavra, we know is a pesky hitter. My evaluation of Vavra hasn't changed. I still think he's going to have a successful big league career as this utility guy who maybe he bounces around from organization to organization at some point, but there's always going to be a team out there for the next, you know, 10 years who wants Taron Vavra in their organization because he's going to work deep counts. He's going to get base hits. He's going to get on base. He's going to play okay defense and he can move around for you. Um, but I just think if you look at this Orioles organization, like I think Connor Norby could be an upgrade in that role. You know, Joey Ortiz could be the utility guy who bounces around the infield at least doesn't give you outfield defense, but he bounces around or maybe it's Jordan Westberg. Maybe Westberg plays second base and, they want that bet in the lineup, so they move him to the outfield. Like, I just think there are three, four, five better options right now than Vavra and the injury history. I mean, we highlighted that before as well. That goes back to his high school days, I think, if you look at fine reports. he's had, This injury history has been pretty serious for his entire you know, playing days. So it's not something new that just popped up as a pro. This goes back to high school, college days. So I, I don't know. Do, do we see him anymore in the major leagues at this point? Yeah, I mean, Vavra, if he could stay healthy, if he was on the 2019 to 2021 Orioles, he'd be like competing to be our all-star representative. I feel like um, when you have Rio Ruiz out there at third base and all those great names that we live through, Pat Vlaikas. Um, yeah, so I think, again, I think he's just going to be a really solid player. I think he, you have to just accept that he's probably going to get 200 to 300 at bats a year just because he's going to land on the IL at some point. You just hope it's not too serious. Gives you good at bats, can play decent defense. feel like he's valuable to a team like the Detroit Tigers right now or uh, someone like that. The Orioles, you know, again, we are just jam-packed full of talent. And 
I don't know. I think, again, he's a nice guy to have a AAA. If there's an injury, easy. Bring him up. He's going to play solid defense, offense, all that good stuff that we talked about. But other than that, I'm not sure he's ever going to be a, a starter, regular starter on this, this next Orioles team for the next decade. I agree with both of you. That's kind of where I am with Vavrov right now. I think that he's definitely got a future in the major league still. And if he had come along two years earlier, he would have had a much longer runtime in the major leagues. A couple of things I think work against him. Um, Number one, he's a guy that can play a lot of positions, but he doesn't really stand out at any one of them. So you know that, you know, it's not like you've got an elite defensive second baseman on your hands or a guy that's going to give you, you know, positive outs above average when he goes out to center field. He's not that kind of defender. He can play several positions adequately, but I don't think he's close to elite at any of them. And you look at what he does as a hitter. Best case scenario for him in a season, he's going to hit for average. He's going to get on base, but he's not going to hit for a lot of power. Um, So while it was good that he had that time at third base, and I think it's good that he's worked that into his repertoire, his back doesn't fit that position. So that makes things a little bit challenging for him. I do think that he has a future in the major leagues. Um, I just wonder, is it with the Orioles or is it with someone else who looks at him and feels like that they are getting a utility player who has a skill set that they value or that maybe does want to try him in a role at second base? Um, and I remember when the Orioles signed Adam Frazier, I questioned was the Frazier signing redundant because of Vavra. It seemed like they could possibly do the same things and that Vavra as a younger guy might have a little bit higher ceiling. You could look at some aspects of Frazier's game and say that Vavra would match if not exceed Frazier in some areas. But I don't think you'd see the power production that we've seen from Frazier so far from Vavra. I just don't know that you would get that from him in a good year. So that's where his situation is a little bit complicated. And like Nick said, the injury history has hurt him. I go back to 2021. He started that year in Bowie, and that was a great lineup at Bowie. And he was one of their best hitters at the beginning of the year. But then he missed so much time that season with injury that I think that was kind of a lost development window for him. He did get some of it back the following year. But I think the fact that he's not had a season yet without or at least in his time with the Orioles that didn't have an IL stint or two has hurt when the Orioles traded for him he was injured and he didn't play the rest of that season uh after that deadline so yeah I mean maybe that's you know Adam Frazier might have been redundant but Adam Frazier stays on the field maybe that had something to do with their calculus there as well yeah it's just these are all kind of the fringy guys we're looking at here and I mean (laughs) We're talking about a top 100 prospect, a guy who we all agree could have a successful, even if it's like a Ryan Flaherty-esque career, I call that a success. I mean, if if you look at, <laughs> I, I know, but like to reach the major leagues, to stick around for a couple of years, to have some sort of impact in the majors, like I, I call that somewhat of a success. For a Taron Vavra type player, sure. Um even if that's that's all he gives, and Cesar Prieto, who you know we we're in agreement could be a starting second baseman in another organization tomorrow if need be, and Kyle Stowers as potential. We're talking about all these guys as I don't really know if there's much of a role here in Baltimore. 
because you got Jackson Holiday, Gunnar Henderson, Joey Ortiz, Kobe Mayo, I, the, the list just goes on and on and on. It's it, it's unfortunate for some of these guys that they're stuck in this situation. I, I go back to that Connor Norby interview that kind of got hot there for a little bit. It was that Glenn Clark radio that that he did and made some of those comments. These guys are they're you know they know they see the talent around them and you know it's it sucks for a lot of these guys and and I feel for them but you know just. It's, it's good to have some of these depth options. And at the end of the day, when this team is ready to make moves, I have all the confidence in the world that they will. They will make smart moves. They'll get smart talent back. I don't, you know, some of these guys are going to go off too and have great careers elsewhere. And that's fine. You just hope that the talent that comes back to Baltimore in those trades uh, matches it. So, yeah, I was telling my son the other day that over the next few years, I feel like I'm going to have a uniform for every major league team just because I'm going to see someone like Norby go or Prieto go. And if they have success in the majors, I'm going to want to buy their jersey because I'm still rooting for these guys either way. So even if it's not for the Orioles, these are talented players that deserve their shot at Major League Baseball playing time. I'm going to throw out one name that I think is in a little bit of a different spot because if you look at his base numbers they don't really look like someone who should be in the major leagues right now even though right now he does have an up arrow next to him because he's pitching pretty well in july and that's drew rom he did get a brief taste of the majors this year but ultimately was not used in a game when he was promoted and you look at his numbers down in norfolk now he his walks are up from what we're used to seeing from him 549 era 94 strikeouts 44 walks and 80 in the third innings pits his FIP and XFIP are a little bit better, 4-3-2 and 4-6-3, respectively. But sometimes you look at Rom and you see where a lot of the questions we would get about him on this show of what's different about Rom than Zach Lothar or Alexander Wells. And I would always say Rom has a better fastball than both of those guys. And I still stand by that assessment. But AAA, I think, has posed a little bit more of a challenge for him than what's expected. That said, I still like him. I, I'm still fairly high on him as a prospect. And as I mentioned, he's been pitching really well in July. So maybe the second half is going to go well for him. But I recently got a question on the mailbag about what is the best case scenario for Rom the rest of this way, for the rest of this season. And my answer was that he somehow puts himself in the conversation for a job in the major leagues in 2024. What, what do you guys see in Rom at this point? I don't see him contributing to the major in the majors this year. I don't think um, he's been one of those guys. I think we've talked about this before that, you know, he was what a 2019 draft pick or 2018 draft pick 2019. I think he was a high school pickup before the Elias era. And he's never been a guy that like you see the articles in discussion. Rom's name has never really been brought up like, Ever. He's just kind of flown under the radar, done his job at every level, improved at every level. He's always been very young for whatever level he's at. He's still only 23 years old. He's 2018 draft pick. So he's been in this organization since 2018, but he's just not a guy that this organization has seemed to talk about publicly. So I've always wondered, like, how does this organization truly view Rom? He's not one of their guys, but he has developed pretty well under the system. And this year has been up and down. Like, you have some games where... You know, he gives up like the, his last start. I, I did the daily for that one and looking at his savant page. Yeah, he gave up six runs on like seven or eight hits, but he only had like four hard hit balls. 
and he has those nights where the final line's not great, but you look at some of the other data, like he'll pile up the whiffs. He doesn't give up the hard hits. And you're like, what's going on here? I think there's a great point made in, in the chat. Uh, I apologize because I don't remember who this was. I don't know if you guys remember. It's a couple weeks ago. And someone brought up maybe it's the fact that the automated ball strike system was impacting him, that Rom's a bit of a nibbler. And you're not going to get those calls now with the ABS because during the weekdays, it's full ABS. There's no challenge system. There's no nothing. It's strictly computer calling the game. And on the weekends, you can it's home plate umpires calling the game, but you can challenge using the ABS system. So I mean, maybe he's adjusting to that. And that's a point where I'd love to this offseason get a guy back on the show, maybe get Rom himself back on the show, talk to someone who's pitched in AAA and get – talk to them about what it's been like pitching with that in place for the first time this year, because I really haven't seen a lot of discussion about that uh, from players or coaches themselves. So it'd be interesting to see if that has an impact or not, but I mean, you know, Rom's not allowing very many home runs. He's still striking out a ton of guys. The FIP and XFIP are like almost a full run lower than the ERA. He has great nights. And even when he stumbles, it's, you know, it, there's still some positive takeaways. Like he'll have a, a 40% call strike plus whiff rate on the fastball. Like there's always bright spots to his game. It's just a matter of, I think, putting it all together for Rome. Yeah. I think it was Doug who mentioned that in the, in our WhatsApp mm -hmm. chat. So always some great insight there if you want to join the Patreon, but yeah, Rom, man, he's a tricky one. I mean, he's super solid. I feel like, He's a little bit underrated because I do think he could be potentially a back-end starter or at least like a one-time-through-the-order multi-inning reliever. I think he could be pretty solid in that role. I feel like if he was on a team like the Cardinals, I feel like they might be able to use him at the back end of the rotation. They always seem to get more out of their pitchers than, than maybe you would expect. So, again, I don't know if he's going to be part of a trade or – because at, in 2024, I feel like the Orioles are going to – they're going to want, they're going to have Bradish. They're going to have Rodriguez. Hopefully Dale Hall will still exist at that point in time or will exist again. <laughs> um, you would assume we're going to trade for a stud starting pitcher at some point. And yeah, again, where's the room for Rom? I think it could be in the bullpen, but I also think he deserves a chance to start for a major league team too. So again, it's like, what a, what a terrible problem to have too much talent and uh, not enough spots to put him. Completely agree. Before we dive into our final segment tonight, we want to take a few minutes to talk about a guy who's working his way back from injury and doing so very successfully so far, and that is Kyle Bronovitz. Bronovitz, in his most recent rehab start, which came for Aberdeen on Friday, was excellent, going four innings, giving up just one run with seven strikeouts and no walks against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Bronovitz, you may recall, began the 2022 season in Norfolk, but just after the season started, I think he only had a couple of outings. He underwent Tommy John surgery after an elbow injury. He had his first rehab appearance down in the FCL on June 26th of this year and has since had one outing at Delmarva, now two at Aberdeen, we think. We presume he's going to be in Bowie before too long and then work his way back to Norfolk and hopefully get something of an extended run there between the regular season and the playoffs before this season ends. Up until the injury last year, Bronovitz had been rising as one of the top, one of the more interesting pitching prospects in the Orioles' farm system and was Rule 5 eligible after the 2022 season. However, because of the injury, the Orioles having multiple options and players to choose from to protect, he was left unprotected, obviously not taken in the Rule 5 draft. So the Orioles 
Going to have to make that decision again this offseason. The way things are going for Bronovitz, it looks like he could get protected. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, what have your guys' impressions been of him as he's working his way back on the mound? He looks great. He really does. Um, looks like he hasn't missed a beat, honestly. Uh, I'm loving it. I think he's certainly making a case to be protected on the 40-man. don't think he gets brought up in the majors this year. But, I mean, if Noah Denoyer can earn a spot on the 40-man roster, and unfortunately he had a little bit of a step back this season, hopefully he can get back into form heading into 2024. But I, I certainly think Bronovich could be protected. Uh, Arizona, Arizona Fall League seems like a pretty good option for him as long as you know he hasn't reached whatever the innings limit is going to be for him. Same with Brandon Young. And Zach Peake, Seth Johnson, whenever these guys come back. But, yeah, really excited about Bronovich being back on the mound and just striking guys out left and right. I think he looks bigger this year as well. I, I don't know like how much he's bulked up or if he's bulked up or not, but I, I think he, he's bulked up a little bit as well. Uh, it's it's so good to see him back. It, yeah, it's, it's low-A competition, but the numbers he's put up, I mean, he's patented Kyle Bronovich. He's not walking guys. He's getting a couple strikeouts and he's not allowing any runs. So it's, it's great to see. And this is a guy too, that like if he would not have had Tommy John surgery, he would have been in the Orioles. He would have been given a shot at making the Orioles rotation at some point last year. Uh, and yeah, he got drafted in 2019 by the angels. They don't let him pitch uh, that season. 2020, he doesn't get to pitch because of the pandemic. So he doesn't make his pro debut until 2021 where he debuted at high a. And after like 30 something innings, they promoted him to double a where he struck out and pull up. The, he had a sub four ERA, a strikeout rate of about 30% and walk rate under 6%. Like he was fantastic. His first year as a pro reaching double a, uh, this is a guy who I watched him a lot up close and personal in college. And unfortunately he was destroying my alma mater, but it's, it's good to see that Elon program during those years was just, so much talent, especially pitching talent out of that Elon uh, program. But it, it's now that he's in the Orioles organization, he's still been a guy that as much as I, I've loved watching him and following his career, I, I've always questioned like what could his future be? And I hate lumping all these guys together and, and the comparisons, but always got scars of like Alex Wells. Is this like a right-handed Alex Wells, right? It's the velo is not there. He's a control artist. He's not going to walk guys, not going to strike out a ton of guys, uh, but he's got that patented, you know, secondary pitch, right? But now, like, it, that knuckle curve or double knuckle curve, right? But you've got outlets like Fangraphs, I think, was like, this is a guy who could be a back-end starter for the Orioles last year, and their evaluation didn't change even after Tommy John surgery. I think he was still a top 25 prospect on the Fangraphs list. And, and this is a guy who I think – ignore the Alex Wells scares. I think this guy is, he's a, he's a cut above like that fastball guys can't barrel it. That double knuckle curve is a major league pitch. That's his out pitch. That's his signature pitch. He's going to get strikeouts. Um, I don't know if I see him in a rotation, but he's certainly, I'm sure going to work as a starter next spring training and be in the mix. I think for much of spring. And then maybe he's a, he cracks the bullpen at some point next year, but he's, He's back. He's healthy. And he's definitely a guy to watch pretty closely when he gets back up to AAA by the end of this year. Yeah. For some reason, I've always envisioned him as like a seventh inning, eighth inning guy out of the bullpen who could, you know, potentially work his way into fifth starter or a spot starter if he needed it or, you know, abbreviated start. 
I just feel like he's got a, a real weapon with that knuckle curve. And yeah, I think he, he's going to carve out a role for sure. I think it's, it's easy to overlook these guys that go under the knife for Tommy John because they disappear. But I mean, the success rate is really good at this point. And it's, don't forget about all these guys that are just coming back from uh, Tommy John, including John Means. The plus secondary is what could separate Bronovitz from the Alexander Wells types where, because that was always the thing with Wells. And we talked about that a lot when Wells was in the system because year after year, uh, he would post strong numbers in the minor leagues. But you always wondered how did he do it because he doesn't throw hard. He doesn't have a plus secondary. Uh, It's just that he can put his pitches wherever he wants to put them. And at, at what point is that no longer going to work for him anymore? That was always a question I think that we had with Wells. Bronovitz, if that knuckle curveball is working, you guys both said it. Hitters just can't square up on him. And the fastball, hitters don't barrel it. And even if he's not throwing that hard, you pair that with that knuckle curveball, he's going to be a big leaguer. It's just a question of is the repertoire going to be deep enough for him to stick as a starter because he's efficient enough to be a starter. Is the repertoire going to be deep enough for him to work as a starter or is this a one or two inning guy out of the bullpen? Yeah, that's why I see him more as a, I don't see him being a guy who can go through an order, a major league lineup like three times, but I can see him getting through a lineup one time. And you know, he's, he's got that little, he's got a little hitch, a little, little funkiness in the delivery as well, kind of keep hitters off balance. And I think all of that helps everything just kind of, play up and yeah he's he's a guy who i've kind of i i questioned how high he could go in this organization just because he didn't have the velo and like is the stuff really that good and you got some national evaluators out there not not just us talking about this but some national evaluators out there saying this could be a big league starter um i, I don't know if I, I see the big league starter but i definitely see him potentially carving out a role in the bullpen next year at the major league level and with that we'll go into our final segment tonight where we Shout out players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or just something interesting in their stat line that we want to point out. And I'm going to start with Nick tonight because I think that his players, in particular his pitchers, his pitcher, might be players to be talking about a little bit more. Yeah, I'll start with the pitcher. And uh, Luis De Leon made his uh, full season debut last week with Del Marva, and his game. Was pull up the stat line here. Let's see. He went up against Charleston. Four innings, one hit, no runs, two walks, three strikeouts. And uh, I watched this outing, and this kid, he's 20 years old. Not not a kid anymore, but 20-year-old righty made uh, quick work of the Charleston lineup. I don't think – we don't have, obviously don't have stat cast data at the low level, but I can probably – I can guarantee you that there is not one hard hit ball against him in this outing. One of his two walks was a pitch clock violation that – Basayo was behind the plate and was like, dude, what what was that? Like, I don't know what's going on. He's looking at the coaches like, I don't know what happened. Uh, De Leon was looking at the coaches like, I don't know what's going on. The umpire called it after the pitch was thrown and was like ready to call a strike. But he was like, no, nah, actually, pitch timer violation. Go to first base. It was weird. So that was one of his two walks. The only hit was an infield single. And honestly, if I think it was, I don't know if it was Rolfi Cruz or Angel Tejada who was playing first base, but they misplayed the ball, and if they would have played it correctly and just let Carter Young get to it, it Carter Young would have got him out, and it would have been no hits through four innings. Um, he looked really good in that debut. He pitched well in the FCL this year. I'm excited to watch uh, some more of him uh, over the next couple of weeks. 
And my hitter, I'm going with uh, Anderson De Los Santos. I'm going to keep it in Delmarva this week. He's been a guy, we know the batted ball data has been fantastic as he was coming up to the organization. We thought we lost him there before the season started when it was <laughs> inaccurately reported that he was released. Uh, they're like, no. Um, he has struggled, and he the batting average, the numbers haven't been great up to this point, but last week he had five hits and 16 at bat, so 313 average, OPS over 1,000 last week. Had a beautiful home run down there in Salisbury uh, to deep left field. I think somebody said that was easily over 400 feet. I don't know the exact numbers, but he, he's picked it up this month. He's hitting 306 with an 877 OPS. He's got a pair of home runs. I think he's got approaching a monthly high in extra base hits, and the strikeouts have been an issue for him on a month-to-month basis. He slashed the strikeout rate. Uh, th- those numbers are looking a lot better. Maybe this is a finally the breakout for Anderson De Los Santos. Even if it's not, I think this is a guy who just let him get through this year. I think he's still only twenty years old. No, he's still only nineteen years old. I think Anderson De Los Santos is going to be a guy who repeats Delmarva next year and is that Creed Willems, you know, guy that guy who rebounds in year two. And we're like, oh yeah, there's Anderson De Los Santos that we've heard so much about. Um, uh, maybe this is the start of that. Yeah, they can't all make it look as easy as uh, Samuel Basayo has this year. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm still a big ADS, ADLS fan. So, yeah, good call there. I went with Ramon Rodriguez for my offensive player. I feel like he – where has he been? This is a guy who I feel like uh, – when did he first show up? 2021 at some point. And then last year, it's like, man, maybe we're underrating this guy. And now he's back again this year. Playing mostly at double A, a little bit at triple A, a little bit at low A. And again, I feel like we're just forgetting about him and underrating him. I mean, he's 24 years old. Clearly, the Orioles like what he can do behind the plate and work with the pitchers. And between double A and triple A, and I think he had a couple of bats in, in low A. He's batting 279 with a 758 OPS, 107 WRC plus, doesn't strike out, 8.6% strikeout rate, 10.1% walk rate. I just feel like, is he being slept on in the potential backup catcher fight with Maverick Hanley, Silas Sardwan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he keeps sticking around. He was even in the Arizona Fall League, I believe. Um, yeah, just feel like he deserves a shout-out because I try to keep track of all these prospects and minor leaguer stats on the Baltimore Sports and Life message board every day, and I don't even put up Ramon Rodriguez's stats out of the hundreds of people I put on there and I was like man that's some disrespect right there I gotta shout out him out my pitcher I'm going with Daniel Lloyd who coming into June 27th he had a 4.63 ERA batting average against 301 1.61 whip 4.46 FIP was striking out 23% of batters walking just under 10% of batters well in his last five pitching appearances he has a zero ERA with 30 strikeouts in 21 innings, 2.16 FIP, 184 batting average against, whip under one, only walking 7% batters, striking out 35. So clearly this is a guy Matt Blood shouted out, I feel like, before the season started. And now we're finally starting to see why as he uh, continues to work uh, on his pitching development down on the farm. For any listeners that want a little bit more background, Ramon Rodriguez, one thing that has stood out to me or one thing that did stand out uh, to me in the past was we had Zach Peake on our show after the 2021 season. And we were talking to him about catchers, and he went out of his way to praise Ramon Rodriguez 
Uh, that stood out to me at the time, and I think it's been a big part of the reason why he's been able to stick around this organization. Works really well as a pitching staff, and as Bob just pointed out, can do some things well at the bat, too. I've got a couple of guys that I'm going to highlight here. Maxwell Costas hit two home runs last week for Aberdeen in their series against Bowling Green. One thing that Costas does is he just hits the ball really hard. You can tell that Aberdeen really does not affect his power. He's got eight home runs there this year, goes a 528 slugging percentage. Overall in the season, he has nine homers as he hit one with Del Marva earlier this year. He's, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in following Costas because of the fact that he's a University of Maryland guy, also some also from Baltimore. So that in and of itself is a nice story. But he has been a big part of why Aberdeen really just seems to be getting better as the season goes on. And then I'm sticking with Aberdeen for my pick this week on the pitching side of things. And that's reliever Ryan Hennen. Now, this is give some background on Hennen. I find this interesting. He was the Frontier League Pitcher of the Year in 2021 with the Washington and Wild Things. The Royals signed him in April of 2022, assigned him to Columbia uh, a couple months into the season, and he actually pitched pretty well for the Fireflies, but for some reason was released in August of that season. Twelve days later, the Orioles pick him up as a free agent. They, he re- finishes the year as a stint in the FCL and Del Marva. He's been hurt a little bit by injuries this year. He missed about a month because of an IL stint earlier. But he has settled in in Aberdeen's bullpen and been quite effective, which we saw in a two-scoreless uh, two inning outing against Bowling Green back on Wednesday of last week. Two shutout innings, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts. So far this season, Hennon has thrown 14 to third innings, struck out 15 batters, and walked just five. So Aberdeen has some intriguing arms. I'm going to definitely be watching this left-hander a little bit more as the season goes on. Love it. I love all of this, especially Rodriguez. Yeah, I feel like he's a guy. He's got some home run power as well. The bat is impressive. I do think he's a guy that this organization values highly. And Hennon, <clears throat> excuse me, Hennon is one of these guys who – down there in Aberdeen, I think this is beginning of the season, right? We talked about Aberdeen's bullpen as being a force. And I think he's missed some time this year. He's back healthy, pitching well. I, I think we see a few more guys come out of that Aberdeen bullpen and make it make an impact at Bowie before the year is over. I think maybe we should, by the end of the year, revisit that. Uh, I know we did a relief pitching prospect episode. I feel like we could go even deeper on, on some of these guys who are going to be uh, carving out some sort of careers down the road. Completely agree with that. And that does it for this week. So we will be back next Monday night to preview the MLB trade deadline. Maybe there will have been another move by then. Maybe there won't have been. But regardless, we're going to dive into the trade deadline. Look at what the Orioles might do and maybe focus on what's going on around baseball a little bit more. And the cottage industry that is photoshopping players into other uniforms that has popped up on social media. Uh, can have a field day with this episode. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what we give them to work with. This uh, is you what can set... the rise oh, of AI ahead. was meant for. <laughs> yes, that's why they've been working so hard to invent AI in the last several decades is so we can Photoshop Sohei Otani into a Yankees jersey because that's just something we all really want to see. Uh, in the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter or whatever it's called now, at BSL and the Verge. We are also on Facebook and Instagram, so you can find us there. And if you have not signed up yet, sign up for our Patreon community. You can get a seven-day free trial now. At the $3 level, you'll be shouted out on this show and have access to our very active 
and informative WhatsApp chat. And then at the five and $10 levels have access to bonus daily coverage as well as monthly top 50 prospect updates. And while you're browsing around the web, be sure to head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com where you can get all the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And when you're over at BSL, hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. For Bob Phil and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, Car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today.